No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, a podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and this is the show in which we look at the wonderful question of what happens when you die. All the things pertaining to it, like, do you prepare for it? Are you going to avoid talking about it until the last possible minute? That is the exact kind of stuff I want to get into on this podcast. That is why I have friends and family and strangers and acquaintances on every week to talk about all of these morbid questions that we just don't acknowledge as a society. This week, I have on my good friend Dr. Carly Alexander to talk about a whole host of different things, among them what she's seen in her field as a child specialist, I guess, is what I understand her to be. But really, she could tell you more about it in the entire interview that unfolds here. But she's a fascinating individual with a great perspective on life and how to handle all of the weird, horrible things that she's seen and all of the wonderful things that she's seen because she's just a very well-balanced, fun person to be around who's had some interesting experiences and some wonderful insights into what she's gone through. Among other things, she shares some stories about her education, her family, uh, her background, and really some interesting observations about who she is. As always, I appreciate you listening. I can't thank you enough that anybody would take the time out of the day to listen to such uh, morbid, weird, unpleasant stuff. Uh, if you've got any questions or feedback, please let me know on Twitter or Instagram or at uh, our email account, which is yourdead2 at gmail. You can also find us at yourdead2 on Twitter and Instagram. I really appreciate anybody at all having the time to give us some feedback, let us know how we're doing, if it needs to be changed in any way. I'm always willing to have some constructive criticism because if you don't tell me, I'll never know. So sit back, relax, and let's get into it. to go okay hi hi feeling good yeah okay so with me today i have dr carly alexander say hi carly hi carly so if you'd be so kind tell the people who you are what's like the high level overview of who carly is oh gosh um <laughs> i am a mid-30s minnesota person um lived here my whole life i know you I work here. Uh, I work with kids. Um, I've been a neuropsychologist over in Plymouth. And we're expecting our first child soon, a couple weeks. So that's going to be a big shift in an overview of who I we are. Yes. Um, yeah. Those are all awesome things. And thank you for being here. Uh-huh. And of all of the things, one, we can talk about pregnancy stuff till the day is done, but I'm sure you're well-versed and tired of hearing all of it, uh-huh. but uh, just glancing over the fact that you're a neuropsychologist. Yeah. I think of anybody in my entire life, you've been in school the longest and not for lack of ambition. <laughs> it's like, Correct. I know many people who did like seven years of college, but you're the only one who did it on purpose. Right. Yeah. I made a choice. Yes. Yeah. And what in the world drove you to that? Um, I worked in like a social services setting right after graduating from undergrad, um, ran some group homes and things like that. And I just wanted to be able to provide 
guidance and direction in terms of like treatment and intervention in a way that was informed by data as opposed to informed by relations. Um, meaning like, um, therapy is very different than neuropsychology, right? Like you go to your therapist, you tell them your deepest, darkest, they understand you in and out. Mine is very like assessment heavy, data driven. It's a very different approach. Um, and that is where I feel most comfortable in. So I had to do the whole thing, you know, because you can be a therapist and go to get a master's. It's just a couple of years. Just a couple of years. Just casual. It's, yeah. Lights, just add it on the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I did that couple of years and did therapy for a while and just wasn't satisfied. And so then I went and got my doctorate and then um, fellowship in neuropsych after that. That is intense. Yeah. In a good way. A great way. Admirable. How has that changed your way of thinking about things? Um, Which is super broad to say that has it influenced how you perceive your daily life? So, yes. I think um, in terms of understanding what's normal and like how wide the range of normal is, is really helpful. Um, just in the sense that there's many right ways to do things and there's many right ways to develop and all kids and people have like these different trajectories. And so the window of what we expect is pretty wide. So the longer I'm in the field, the more um, comforting that is (laughs) in the fact that you don't have to do things necessarily in order or in these little window milestones that were, you know, that you glance at at your pediatrician's office. Like there's many, there's many ways that people can go, which is pretty cool. Um, So I think it just has made me appreciate that more, (laughs) be a little more flexible, I think. Yeah, and that's really been something I've struggled with being a newer dad in that at first you're just reading all these books of like, you know, what to expect in your first year, and then everybody's like, oh, first-time parent, huh? And Mm -hmm. you're just eventually like, oh, yeah, I mean, she's not covered in dirt, but if she is, it's fine, and like, She's not actively bleeding, so we're good. You know, it's whatever the the progression is. Like, if you're hitting most of the benchmarks, you're fine. And then basically, other than that, keep them fed and you'll be okay. Right. Um, I think about the example of the five stages of grief. This is a complete 180 in direction, but the same idea of benchmarks versus um, how you process through something that in the five stages of grief, it's not a progressive linear, you start with this and then you move on to sadness and then bargaining. It's just, these are the typical things that an individual would go through. You're seeing a broader spectrum of, yeah, we're all kind of screwed up enough that normal is pretty broad. Right. Good. Right. Normal's broad. If you're listening to this and you feel weird, you (laughs) are, but you're normal because of it. That's right. All right. We're all a hot mess. We all feel like we're barely keeping it together. Yeah. The difference is we didn't know that about our parents when we were younger unless they let us in too much. Yeah. Which they did. Um, Okay. So doing all of that, Uh getting your doctorate, your making the choice to work with younger people. Yes. Is that because you wanted to go into that, or was that a particular drive in your field that you were finding more opportunity that direction, or you wanted to personally choose that endeavor? I think there's equal opportunity whether you want to do kids, adults, geriatric, neuropsychology. There's lots of different things that you can do. I think um, it wasn't wasn't so much about opportunities. It was about interest and um, what I found to be exciting and invigorating. Just because kids are so cool and kids do the coolest things and they say the best stuff. Um, Adults, 
adults, we have a, a more narrow window of what's typical and what's appropriate. And so there's just, I respect all my colleagues that do all the adult work. I, I don't think I could do it. And there's, of course, specific challenges that come with kids, like kids have parents. So like inevitably you're working with adults. That's what you're doing as well as the kid. But yeah, I was at my therapist this morning, actually, and there is a child, you know, somewhere between the age of seven and 12, I would say, who sure. is before me. And then her parent or guardian is out in the waiting room. And every time they wrap up, the parent goes in and talks mm-hmm. with the therapist for a bit and comes back out. There's got to be such a you know, multi-tiered process of like filtering information of getting it from the kid back to the parent, but then knowing what to kind of politically how to phrase it. For sure. Okay. Well, also like respecting the fact that like kids should have some privacy, like, mm-hmm. you know, like therapy, therapy is not protected as an adult sense in terms of this, not privacy the same rules. Laws, right. Yeah. Because yeah. they're minors and so parents have access to their medical records and all of that. But you still want to tell parents what's going on while also like keeping that boundary of like, this is a place you can talk about stuff. It's different yeah it's and different kind of work i can certainly even with my daughter only being she's come up on two years old now i can definitely tell asking her questions of yes and no how much i'm getting an honest response or she's just saying yes to things because it's kind of the flow of the conversation where it's right. like you're not actually upset about anything are you yes moana yes like okay now you're just saying yes for the sake of there's right. no ghosts here we're fine right okay now i could and this is kind of a repeating theme on this podcast that you are one of my good friends who i would love to just sit down at a party and just say i want to just talk about messed up shit that we can't really do in good company usually because there's like you know happy bubbly people around so or many. kids running around where it's like so many. don't talk about murder in front of the kids right one of the things i picked up on uh, either the last podcast on the left or my favorite murder was that there are a couple of things that happen to people when they're young that can really skew towards um, what could be considered deviant behavior mm-hmm. that they would typically be earmarked as head trauma, uh, tendency to abuse animals or play with fire. Right. And then I forget what the third one is. I want to say it's wetting the bed but maybe i'm just putting shame on that for no reason no i think there's this um there's this idea of like what makes a serial killer right yeah okay so there's like the pulp culture thing of they set fires they torture animals they wet the bed well past the typical developmental stage um they engage in kind of um interesting sexualized behaviors and that's kind of like the four that i've heard people talk about in a pop culture sense? In a pop culture sense, right. Is there any legitimacy to that whatsoever? I mean, it is... The sexualized behavior stuff is interesting because there are normative sexual behaviors that we would expect kids to do, um, depending on the developmental stage. So, um, And there's charts you can get out there that says, like, oh, my kid's touching himself, his privates, you know, in Target. Is that normal for a two-year-old? And the answer is, like, yeah. Right, like yeah, the kids too, and that thing's normally covered in pants. Right. Also, that is for men pretty much the driving force of existence. We're very simple creatures. Right. So once they figure that out, yeah, you know. So, but parents really freak out about sex stuff. No, it's a Western Um, culture too. Right. Absolutely. Um, So that stuff, you know, I think unless it's predatory and um, kind of puts a pit in your stomach, and it's with other kids, I wouldn't, you know. 
Even, but even exploratory stuff with other peers is typical depending on your age group. Well, and that was the thing about playing doctors, kids. That was kind of a thing that was joked about. That, right. Like, I mean, kids are curious. This is a thing that happens. Sure. This is not. Um, what's what's funny for me is that we are not even 10 minutes in and I'm asking you all of these heavy questions right away. It's usually very soft. Like, so were you raised religious or like what was your background? Like, actually, this is plays directly into what we've been talking about so far. So was your were you raised? Were you raised religious? And if so, mm. did that play into your studies at all? Or were the two affected by one or the other at all? So I was not raised religious. Okay. Uh, we didn't go to church. Um, I think I maybe went to church with my dad's parents when we were there, but it just like was not this integral part of how we were raised. I think I went to preschool at a church. Okay. You know, so, but I don't remember preschool like at all. But I don't remember praying at night. I don't, I don't think we did any of that. Okay. And um, yet you've turned out to be a very nice, well-adjusted, intelligent person we who do it. clearly has a sense of morality and right and wrong. Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So that wasn't anything that ever – did you seek it out out of your own personal curiosity or was it just something you were kind of aware existed and you were like, eh, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, I'm... I went to some services with friends of mine of different denominations like in high school just to like see what's up. Uh, my mom took us to a couple different – churches in the cities just again to kind of see the way people church um <laughs> i ended up choosing a private catholic college which is interesting because i'm not a religious person same same so that was in, that was a interesting experience um being some sub- like submerged in that culture well that's not my background and gives you a real interesting perspective doesn't it yes you see people doing something that you don't necessarily see other animals doing so much it's a very to see it, to be a big group and then be an out part of that group. Uh huh. What was your take on Catholicism? Um. Or I mean, you know, then versus now. There's a whole lot of. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the religion piece of it was very much like philosophy. For like, it's very interesting from like a philosophical perspective, like psychist of the time, like understanding all these different versions and books and who got published and who didn't, and comparing the two. Like that was very interesting, and I had professors who were very much philosophers, um, you know, and priests, but more philosophers than anything. So that I loved those classes. Um, but in terms of like being part of the culture, it was just it was fascinating to watch friends of mine who had grown up Catholic, raised very strictly Catholic, but then behave in certain ways like, well, that's not very Catholic. You know what I mean? And then, But no one ever would say anything. I don't know. I just, it, I get it. I get why people are into it. Um, and by it, I mean like religion in general. like Organized. We are a member of this particular yes. group. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And I get the, uh, it's comforting in certain ways to have certain um, ideas about how things pan out. <laughs> like I get, I get all that. Um, instead of being like lost in the void of like, no one knows what's happening. Um, but it's just not my style. I didn't, didn't join. Do you find yourself doing what a lot of our generation and younger are doing these days and they consider themselves to be spiritual, but not particularly religious, or is it just something that's simply not a part of your daily equation? Um, Am I spiritual? I think, oh, I don't know what the right word is, but I think there's something up, but I don't know what it is. And I think it's universal, but I can't define it. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that very much. Um, And I think wherever you look, there's pieces that are like filtered through culture and then you end up with like this thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know if that makes me spiritual. I really don't think about it very much. Do you now see as a neurotic person, I'm (laughs) obsessing with it all the time, let alone Uh, having this podcast. Sure. Um, I am... I feel much more relaxed talking with you because I can feel that you're kind of kindred in that sense, that it's not something that really resonates with you, but you're okay with that. Whereas I know my dad has told me that he worries about me because uh, oh. I'm not a member of a church. So he you know, he worries about his son and his immortal soul. Like, that's, you know, it's that's endearing, nice. but, you know, and it's touching, but I, you know, I'm not worried about it as right. much. You know, it doesn't affect me. Yet when I've had friends on this show who I find to be particularly religious or explicitly like, Oh, this is what I think the afterlife is. And here's why I think that. And here's how I pray. I'm more fascinated by that, but I have to really be respectful of like, where does that come from? (laughs) I see you walking around in your daily life. And yet you believe in this thing that is, feels like magic, you know, does that get you at all? That, does that baffle you at all or is it just like it's really not part of your daily life um sometimes i think like gosh you seem like a really reasonable logical person how could you possibly believe in this Mm -hmm. like something that's like completely not in my realm of my own belief but then i think back to the part about you know humanity and people searching for comfort and answers and um guidance and all of that and and how helpful that can be when you're distressed or in a tough spot or whatever. It's like there's a, I have an appreciation for it more so than I do like a, you're kind of wackadoo thought of it, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Because um, I think it's serving a, a purpose for people. Yeah. Which is great. It's been interesting in my own life to see how, I don't think I'm spilling any secrets here, but my wife's been meditating quite a bit more. I mentioned to her around New Year's that, like, I know I should start doing it simply because I kind of bristle at the idea of doing it. Mm -hmm. But it's brought her so much calm. She just seems so much more centered. I mean, not in the capital C, like, hippie tantric sense, but, like, she just seems to be much more in tune with herself. Yep. And... I'm kind of enjoying the passive spillover of that of, you know, she doesn't always do it with headphones in, so I hear it as well, and it kind of helps me get in tune with it. So it's not, and, you know, friend and past guest Dave was on. He's very Catholic, has very well-versed background in different Vatican treatises and different popes, and, Mm -hmm. like, and yet he's so level-headed and so nice to be around, but it's just, like, this whole facet of his personality where it's like, I I almost struggle to marry these two ideas together, but it, it comes with this even-temperedness of, like, he is so unflappable that you kind of wonder, like, is part of that inability to be flapped, is that from, you know, is that derived from that? Like, I'm just so curious about that and the idea that I have, you know, an absence of it. I wonder if that's why I feel like such a neurotic mess some of the time. Are you drawn to anything in terms of, so you said meditations, like you're kind of interested in that. Mm. Um, you know, because there's spirituality, there's all that, but I'm also kind of drawn to things like um, meditation, mindfulness, 
um, vibrations, chakras, crystals, like all that wacky stuff? I've had some exposure to it. Okay. I don't take it too heavily. I don't want to dismiss it out of pocket either just because I don't know any better. And I don't, you know, I would think it'd be hubris to just kick it all out to the curb. But I read at one point that there is some kind of overlap in the way the mind functions that and this is going to be a theme for us is that you're well versed in this and i just read some bullshit on the internet 10 years ago that i've never given up that there is a some relationship in the mental faculties between obsessive compulsive thinking and ritualistic prayer Mm -hmm. like saying hail mary's over and over again or i think about somebody living in the desert a thousand years ago repeatedly praying obsessively to god over and over again when i can't stop thinking about like why did i say that dumb thing at that party why did i say that why did i say that why Mm -hmm. did i say that why did i say that and it just becomes this mantra that i like my (laughs) my doctor not my therapist like my actual doctor has said before recommending the therapist yeah i can see some obsessive compulsive tendencies in your thought processes like first of all fuck you doc (laughs) like didn't ask for that (laughs) you're not wrong but right, right. Mm, but it is something that i can recognize that there is some overlap in whether or not i feel affiliated with any particular religious organization that there's some kind of hardwiring that leads me towards a predisposition to something like there's also examples of electrical stimulation in certain parts of the brain can cause feelings of religiosity whether or not there is anything significantly religious happening in a person that hmm whether or not there is a validity to the nature of spirituality and an immortal soul that there are things you can do to the brain or that there are physical things associated with that gray matter in our head that cause feelings of or are related to feelings of the ethereal Hmm. does that make sense at all sure okay i think the rumination part makes sense in terms of like when you look at obsessive compulsive disorder the obsessions are the anxiety and the compulsions are the behaviors that you do to relieve that anxiety. Like that's the whole cycle of OCD, right? Like yeah. you have these ruminative thoughts and you can't stop it. And so how do you stop it? You count or you tap or you whatever. Do this ritual to alleviate anxiety. That's exactly what people are doing in religion, I think, right? Yeah. Like participating in a ritual, participating in a Hail Mary or a routine or whatever that helps kind of just dampen the anxiety of life. <laughs> yeah, and I don't right? want to paint with too broad of a brush for everybody with OCD, but that's definitely a thing that I have heard about it yeah. from an armchair perspective, that people do these acts in order to appease some unnameable, unknowable source that like things are out of alignment, things sure. are out of whack until sure. I touch this thing three times every time. Yeah, You know, that there's some kind of rightness within the universe that they're trying to create. There's a sense of relief that mm-hmm. comes yeah with the with the ritual part of it so i mean that's what people are just looking for is relief yeah and i wonder if i just need to (laughs) accept the fact that like i'm not going to start praying i need to just just start tapping things three at a time there you go one two three touch a touch we're good yeah three is a fast routine that's a good ritual it can be seven's a lot (laughs) if you're going by prime numbers you really once you start getting past seven Mm -hmm. okay what I've talked about so far has been kind of a preamble and just a light digging into how you have a take on things in order to get to the heavier questions and kind of the abrupt turn I like to take around this time, which is what do you think happens when we die? So I don't know. I wish I did. I think something happens and I can't 
explain what it is. I just don't feel like you die and that's it. That, I don't know. That feels uncomfortable to me. I don't love that idea. There's a part of me that believes in um, past lives and that you get to do this more than once. And I don't know where that comes from. But there's part of me that's like, I've done this before. Or I've met people, I'm like, oh, you've done this many times, right? Which is just as wonky as other organized I don't know I mean I think about reincarnation in the strict sense you know the idea of past lives and karmic retribution and kind of going in cycles and I think well that seems almost too comic booky to be justifiably real but then I think about how much history echoes itself and how much Mm -hmm. like if you just look at enough crowds of people you can start to see types you know Mm -hmm. like oh that's the kind of guy with the big square head that like I've seen a dozen people like that who all kind of have the same head shape and same face like if physically if we're all that similar when you start looking at us Mm -hmm. that we can't all be like there's some repetition on a grander scale like like patterns playing in a big orchestral piece of music right? right right Like an overture. Right. And I just think that there's a blend of like old and new souls happening. Um, And that gets kind of into that metaphysical like um, rainbow souls. And have you heard of all that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so I feel like that's part of it. We have mutual friends I'm trying to get on the podcast who are very well versed in that stuff or like very exposed to it through um, uh, Kelsey and Evie have been to their... My psychic. Oh, your psychic? Yes. No, really? Yes. Okay, so tell me more. Um, so this is a woman who I got hooked up with through a friend of mine who her aunt is just like loves all the metaphysical psychic and crystals and all this jazz, right? Okay. So when I was going through my infertility stuff, I went and saw her just because like I was doing therapy, I was doing acupuncture, I was doing it all, like you just reach for comfort, right? Yeah. And, um, and I went and saw her and had such an amazing, like three hours with her where she just like read me, like I haven't been read by anybody and did some energy work and, um, told me about my own past lives and my own like experiences and, um, loved her so much that I asked her to come do a bachelorette party. That's where this started. Okay. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've traced this all the way back to the roots now. I yes. skipped over what I thought would be the natural start. Here we are. <laughs> Here okay. We are. Yeah. This is great. So she came to my home, um, told me about the ghosts that live in my home immediately. And then... Um, We're coming back to that. Yeah. She um, then... So she's a, um, a psychic and like an energy person, um, but then also like a medium. Um, and so then she did readings for everyone that was there that wanted it. And Kelsey and Eb were on the last round mm-hmm. and, um, she had said to them, like you, I need to see you both again. Um, and I have like my hairdresser goes and sees this person. I have several friends that go see this person very often. She is phenomenal. Yeah. And so Again, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school here. So my my wife, Evie, that you mentioned, she went with Kelsey to this woman uh-huh. to meet with her. Because, again, what what harm is there? She's not of the strict religious background where, oh, no, psychics are the devil's work. And that, No, if, if there's some good to be gained, so be it. Uh-huh. So she went and talked and learned. And I don't 
you know, gun to my head, I wouldn't say I'd put much stock in it. And yet, this woman was definitely able to pick up on my wife was having a ton of sinus infections, like more than one bad one a quarter Mm -hmm. to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, I think you might seriously need to have like a procedure done to, yeah, yeah, to do something. And this woman said, you got to stop drinking dairy. Mm -hmm. It's just, you're all, something is not right. Your body's not handling it right. And my wife kind of thought, well, that's not really what we're here for. Also, I live by cheese, like no way. And then... We ended up doing the whole 30 thing for, uh, I think, September. Gave up dairy, and she's just never gone back to it. Just mm-hmm. completely, whether or not it was just, like, reading social cues or, like, just seeing that my wife's face was probably causing her discomfort, she's never gone back. Mm-hmm. And she was 100% on the money with that. There were other things that she cued in on, like my wife's propensity to keep all that stuff. Uh as I'm oh. gesturing to the rest of the basement behind Carly, um, we're working on clearing that out. Uh-huh. But she talked about um, what in a past life experience could be causing that push. Mm-hmm. And it was all stuff that if it had not been, like I could tell you from the previous 15 years that I've known my wife, this woman would have either had to been deep diving on her social media profiles to an extent that is not profitable mm-hmm. <laughs> or keyed in on some things that are just like, wow, that is actually really surprisingly insightful. So mm-hmm. again, whether or not there's any validity to the otherworldly nature of it, there certainly is some good to be taken away in that she had a, a new perspective on some things about herself. Right. So have you continued to see this woman then? So I saw her... Well, twice, the one time and then the time at the bachelor party. I haven't seen her again. I really want to. I haven't seen her for a few reasons, just busyness. My father passed away, and it, that feels that felt too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got pregnant, so I don't know. <laughs> Part of me is like, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now um, this child is going to be a great figure who will unite the tribes of, oh, God, oh, no, oh, yeah, no. Right. Okay. Um, but I was just talking to a couple girlfriends how I really would like to see her soon, sooner than later, just because I left her house feeling really good mm-hmm. in a time where I was not feeling very good. So no, I haven't seen her. Okay. Well, and then technically there's two people in one body right now. So That's I mean, right. that could, she could be getting some overlap of she like, could. Hmm, now there's another past life that I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> one of you is big into cats. The other's a real dog person. Right. Um, okay, so you don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happens either. I don't think I have any good ideas, and I don't think a lot of other people do either because if anybody did, things would be a whole lot different. Right. Do you know anything about the physiology of neurochemistry, anything that happens in the process of dying? No seven grams of soul that leaves the body, nothing like that? I don't really know much about that kind of stuff. I mean, I've heard that. Right, like there's yeah. this w- weight shift um, when someone passes away, which, as far as I know, is total horseshit. I don't, I don't think there's ha- anything. I don't think there's any good research. It's gases and things leaking out that are right. Yeah, um, I mean, I think about all the time, not all the time, but when I do think about it, I think about how much we know about the brain, and yet we can't recreate one. Right. It's mm-hmm. so, like we could build one, maybe, <clears throat> not to the level that our brains are at now, but we can't spark 
it to work in the way like a brain works. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well then the brain's done working. Where does that spark? Then what? Yeah. That spark goes somewhere. That was something that I really struggled with in my, some of my higher level philosophy classes that it's what they called the epiphenomenon of consciousness. Okay. That it's, and I really, I didn't, I had a complete misunderstanding of what consciousness was until I started to get to these classes and started to really unpack some of this stuff. And granted, it was coming from a Catholic university, so there's certainly a whole level of sure. you know unspoken influence there. But it's the idea that everything that's happened in this, you know, this is, I graduated 2006, so take it with <laughs> some historical grain of salt, mm -hmm. that what is happening in the brain, no matter how much of a measurable, concrete quantifiable experiences happening there that there is another layer to it that we struggle to understand or comprehend that they it is a phenomenon epiphenomenon meaning happening around or above the idea of what is currently happening that there's this other layer that we can't sure. quite sure cotton to that we right. don't we can't really point to it and say we're making this happen because we you know as close as we can get to any kind of reproduction of the brain there's a, there's an element that we're missing that's we could make something that has as much storage, like the the gray matter is capable of holding something like several petaflops of information. Like it exists, like we can physically do it. Sure. But then establishing all of the neural pathways back and forth, again, we could make something as complex with that many roads of information travel. Right. But that doesn't mean the thing wakes up and right. is awake. And right. that also ties into um, the example I always cite because there was a famous paper about it called "Is it, What Is It Like for a Bat to Be a Bat?" Does it is batness is that the same as being a human? Like sure. you have a dog named George, uh -huh. which is the best name and the most suited name for a dog. dog he's clearly George. Yes. Um, is his conscious experience anything like ours? Oh. I mean, other than color blindness as we know it. You know, if you'd ask the Catholic Church, they'd say no. Right. That they don't have a soul, which is just, that seems dismissive and arbitrary. Yeah. And yet, you know, I talked with, um, I think I was talking with Brian on this podcast about dogs' kinship with humanity. That I mean, mm -hmm. on a certain level, they're just wolves that got closer and closer to the fire over multiple generations. And yet you look in their eyes and you can see that behavior of oh, feeling sheepish and uh -huh. just kind of like the downward look of like oh, I'm yeah. just, you know well and they also produce a chemical response within us like we know when we look at our dogs we get rushes of oxytocin which is the same chemical we get rushes of when we look at our children mm -hmm. or people we love right so mm -hmm. there's you know there's so much more than just like the evolutionary part of it just like there's so much more in the brain to like just like the chemical and neurochemical and electrical impulses that are going on like there's just there's something else happening yeah does it feel weird to think of all that you know about the brain and then you're standing on the shoulders of giants, which is something I've said before on this podcast, that your your experience with all of this, we are so far from where we were for tens of thousands of years, mm -hmm. and now we know all of these magic tricks about what goes on. We know so many things behind the curtain. Does it feel like it gives you any peace of understanding about you're not somebody who freaks out about existentialist ideas of no okay I, I think the more that i learn the more i know there's something else 
untangible, right? Or something like it's like the closer you get to it, the farther away it is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, um, what is that? That's the not Pythagorean. It's something's arrow where like you keep splitting the measurement, and you, the arrow sure. never reaches the target because you keep splitting that moment of measurement over and over again. Don't know. <laughs> don't know what that's called. I've added nothing to the conversation as a result. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, this. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. Right? So, and that's part of growth and learning, no matter what you're doing, is like, oh, like, (laughs) I really have no idea what any of this stuff is or um, how this is going to pan out, despite research and studying and experimental design and, like, having a good sense of that. You just, it, like, seems farther and farther away, I feel like, the more you learn about whatever it is. When I was first talking about doing this, I was talking to another friend of mine about what it means to die. And on a certain level, they were saying, well, I mean, you know, isn't dead what we think of as dead? I said, well, yeah, but it wasn't. It used to be just basically when you stop breathing. Sure. And then at some point we figured out, oh, pulse. Oh, okay, heart and pulse, those are tied to this. And then, you know, in the 1700s, 1800s, we started to figure out there are things that cause us to look very dead when we are not, in fact, permanently dead. And we'll sure. start putting a little bell in the ground, and then the gravekeeper can go around and make sure if anybody starts ringing a bell, we got to yes. dig them up because they're not dead yet. Yeah. And as we've gone further and further along, we slice that moment into smaller and smaller subsections of, like, you can bring somebody back from being dead for a long time. Yeah. But then we have somebody like Terry Schiavo where that person was never coming back Mm -hmm. like do you know much about and this is this is just me asking a neurophysicist questions of like how does this work like what do you know how things shut off like is it just lights off and that's it and i don't know i mean because you have to have oxygen to the brain to work right yeah but you can be without oxygen and your brain continues to function in some way and if you regain oxygen, you might have damage, but you can still come back from that, yeah. like epoxic, agnoxic injuries, things like that. Okay. Drownings, chokings. Right? Sure. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't even know what what the line is. Like, this person is gone. Is it pulse? Is it brain activity? Is it heartbeat? Now, see, this is something I got to Google, so I so I have a better understanding of this because yeah, there, there's a, there's a certain there has to be things where they, I mean, ER doctors eventually just say call it. Yeah. You know, because they know that somebody's not coming back. After right. X amount of time, Right. they know we can't bring this person back. Right. And is it variable in terms of the type of passing? Like if someone has an acute injury and therefore an acute blood loss, an acute, you know, things are happening very quickly, can you bring that back faster than someone that's been on hospice for weeks and their body is slowly shutting down? And then you pass away in that way? Yeah, I would, because I had my, my grandmother wanted to die. She just wants, she was, you know, in her 90s and at the end of her life and just was kind of choosing to withdraw from the world and slowly die. And I wonder if that was a process where she said, you know what? No, I need to see this next thing happen. If she could just turn it around with enough personal momentum to hold on and keep going. But now that I feel like from what I've seen in, my limited exposure to the medical world that there some things are more escapable than others sure you know like 
And we live in Minnesota where it gets so damn cold that we have horror stories of people being frozen outside on their porch all night and mm-hmm. they're able to be resuscitated due to low temps. But I mean, there's you can start doing the cyborg thing of swapping out organs. And I mean, Dick Cheney literally doesn't have a heart. Sure. He just, and he has, has no pulse either. It's just a steady pulsing of, pulsing, it's a steady flow of oxygenated blood through mm-hmm. his body because he's got some mechanical thing happening. So we can do all sorts of right. Dr. Frankenstein-esque things, yeah. but then we start to redefine what life is then too. And that's what I was kind of driving out with Terry Shiva that like, yeah, I mean, she's alive, but if you take her off life support and she's not going to, she was breathing enough sure. that she could stay alive, but she wasn't able to eat. Right. And so she would not have a pleasant end. Right. But she was brain dead for, I mean, from what I understand. So she must have some brain stem activity for like the vegetative stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to not have any like cortical activity, we're all like. Your thinking is. Yeah, the consciousness. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. This is the kind of stuff that I love thinking about. Yeah. Have Mm. you encountered, I mean, I know you've got HIPAA laws and all sorts of things in place, but things that you see in your, either your studies or your career that you're just like, holy shit, I had no idea this could happen. Or like particular things that you think, I would never have seen this were it not for this field of work. Um... I mean, I've seen people who have gone through extraordinary events that could have been, should have been um, lethal and yet have survived and relatively neuropsychologically intact. So um, major electrical uh, injuries from like grabbing power lines I've seen or people who have drowned I've seen or um, and people who had intervention were able to be, you know, around quote unquote normal and yeah yeah the grabbing the power lines thing is is there any truth to the idea in your experience that it doesn't throw you back that's all your muscles convulsing at once and that's why your body goes Whoop! so there's um different kinds of power lines some that have current going one way some that have current going two ways okay and so depending on what kind of line you grab there are some that'll grab it and it'll make you grab it more because it, it's a it's a it, it's engaging your electrical so your muscles will tense and so you'll hold on oh God. right and then there's some that are both ways and i think those are the ones that'll shoot you off okay so it's two different kinds there's like so there's many different things that go into electrical electrocution that pose risk for post-injury problems so like current if it's one directional or bi-directional there's a word for it which i can't remember um if your hands are clean or dry or wet or like there's all these things is it acdc <sighs> alternating and direct current yeah, something like that. And I've under it's my understanding that electroconvulsive therapy is not as barbaric as it was once thought. Correct. That people actually really benefit for whatever reason from kind of resetting the system. Basically, there's like a certain level threshold of depression where it does the brain service to send it impulses that kind of help reset the electrical ways in which your brain works. And I don't understand it. I don't, I've never really researched it. Um, it's not really approved or used much for kids, so it's not really part of my <laughs> deal. But um, if they play the old fork in the outlet game. That's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, but people use um, ECT therapy mm-hmm. still in hospital settings. They also, there's like these at-home things you can get now um, that you like put on your own brain and you can like give yourself some shock. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. There was actually a Radio Lab episode where they talked about they brought in a sharpshooter from a particular branch of I don't think it was even American military. I think it, I want to say she was Australian, but they had her do a sharpshooting drill that lasted mm-hmm. for like two minutes, and then they had her try this where she put it on, and it was supposed to basically almost grid up her thoughts like it was supposed to add rigidity and grid structure to the electrical currents in her brain to keep it from being less freewheeling and she it wasn't a pleasant experience but she said she felt so much more locked in and robotic of just like there 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 like she shot much better and like interesting it was developed at the time it was military privatized but yeah i think those things are available for home use but the level of efficacy is also like right debatable right. on depending what the brand is sure and what level human of error all that snake stuff. oil salesman's yeah yeah but there's there's something that you can buy and i wish i knew the name and it's relatively accessible it's for people with depression and you can use it at home and i can't call whiskey and it's it is alcohol great no it's it's really <laughs> so okay i mean have so with your knowing what you know about how the brain operates and as cool calm and collected as you've been talking about the idea of what happens when we die that's nothing that really seems to keep you up at night at all no okay and that i don't i'm not looking for you know yeah i tend so um, I have been told that I have a maladaptively low level of anxiety. <laughs> you fucker! In the fact, in the fact that you come here into my home. <laughs> I know it's rude, but there's also like, and I've been told this by like mentors, right? Like you should be worried about this application or you know whatever. And I just do not run anxious. I just don't. Now that's like in my general life. For all this pregnancy stuff has told me turned me into a completely different person. So I like, suppose. So all of that um, has been a very good learning experience in terms of like what anxiety feels like and how to feel out of control. And because I didn't know I was very controlling until I was out of control <laughs> of sure. my body, right? Yeah. Um, but before that, like I just don't. I'm not a ruminative person, and I think part of that is I also tend to be very disconnected from myself, right? Like I'm not very in tune. I'm better now, but like how my body's feeling if I'm getting sick. Like, so part of it I think is just like self-preservation, like get through the day, get through grad school, go to school for a hundred years, go, 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 go. Um, and the older I get, the more I'm like, Oh, actually that makes me anxious. I don't love that. Right. Hmm. Um, I am so envious. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also, again, there's like a disconnection there, right? Like if you're not, how can you not be anxious about certain things? Like how have you not thought about that? And yet on the flip side of that, why am I so anxious about so many things? Why <laughs> I do I, th- why, what is the point? You know, it's not going to stop a bad thing from happening. Right. You know, you thinking about it more isn't going to change your course of actions necessarily. Right. If you're prepared and you feel comfortable with something and you're an intelligent person who works hard, like, well, what, do you, what, what good beyond now is worrying for another 10 minutes about this thing? Right. Okay. It is no good. If worrying, I always tell myself, like, if worrying changes the outcome, go for it. 
Oh, God, and I've had to tell myself that over and <laughs> right? over and over. Uh, and I have to tell it to many people in my life, Austin, about it. You Hopefully know, you future say, guests on this, too. I just want to get him wound up and just oh God, let him I go. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Um, but, you know, as long as it's serving a purpose, it's either making you feel better or if it's going to change your outcome, worry away. But outside of that, like, there really is nothing that worrying does in terms yeah. of, like, being productive. And um, it's just not my – not where I land in the emotional realm usually. Hmm. Interesting. So that, I wonder if that also informs then your supposed lack of connection to a religious Maybe. affiliation that you don't have that underlying spider sense of, I must worry about this thing. You don't feel that need of, I need to be part of a group. Otherwise X might happen. Like Mm-mm. interesting. No, I don't have that. Interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't ever think about it like that, but how if you don't want to talk about it, it's completely understandable. Sure. But um, the experience of your father passing away yeah. was that. I mean, you don't. Nobody wants to think about it happening. Were you able to kind of walk yourself through the process, if that makes sense, or were you? Is it just kind of a, especially with what you've told me about what you called maladaptively low sense of anxiety? How how did you process that? If, and, and again, please know that you're this is a safe place. I'll cut out whatever yeah, you want to yeah. cut out. But I mean, my the passing of my dad is interesting. In fact, that um, he has had a lifelong illness of alcoholism and. He's had cancer and he's had heart attacks and heart surgeries. And so this is a man who, despite all these medical things, has lived as long as he did. <laughs> and I don't know how. Um, he called himself a medical marvel and vodka kills cancer in his head. So, <laughs> um, but so when he died suddenly, there was a part of me that, like, this was not sudden. Like, this has been building up in his, po- his poor body for, s- he was 65 when he passed away. So, you know. 50 years or whatever. Um, and so like once I got through the initial shock of it, cause again, it was unexpected. There was like this very um, logical part that was like, well, of, of course, like he's going to pass away at some point. I'm thankful for how long he did live mm-hmm. given all the stuff that he had been through and put his body through. But that's my go-to, right? Like get in the logic head, like get in the cognitive, get in the, get out of the emotional stuff, get out of the worry, get out of the anxiety and be up here, which is like where I'm most comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's how I dealt and I'm still dealing with it is just very like matter of factly, I don't know. Because it wasn't long ago. No, no, it was um, July, the end of July. Yeah. Um, and so he had passed away. I just found out I was pregnant before he had passed away. Oh, God. I know. And I had an ultrasound coming up to, like, confirm the pregnancy with heartbeat the day after he passed away. Oh. So it was a lot of life, death, cycle, cyclical shit happening all at once. Um, and that kind of threw me, you know, for a loop. But also there was comfort in that. Like, there was comfort in, like souls leaving souls entering again that kind of like souls do this multiple times kind of deal it's a lot of the point of why i want to do this with people because it's it happens to everybody Mm -hmm. you can run from it you can be as healthy as you want you can do whatever but it's it's universal and we all live in denial of it 
and we're just not sold that idea day in and day out. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's what happens to everybody. And you got to step back and see some real high-level universe at work shit where mm -hmm. somebody steps off the stage, somebody else steps into the stage mm -hmm. and says, I'm part of this. That person's not gone. Your father's not gone. But what was here is no longer here. Right. Was, did he want to have a service? So he um, was not a religious man. And he had told me, when I die, I want you to have a party. And I want you to have it at the bar that he went to every day for, you know, as um, alcoholics do. Um, the bar down from his house. And he wanted to have ham sandwiches and potato salad and goulash and vodka Red Bulls. And Yeg like he was just like he had talked about like when we go, this is like this is what I want you to do. Um, and he had talked to me about it. A little bit he had really talked to some of his good friends about it friends that were his age and so um, when he passed away they had reached out to me and said your dad had always told me he wanted this and I'll help you get that and so it was really uh, I had a lot of help Very my brother cool. and I had a lot of help planning um, but no service nothing religious no um, he's still in my basement his ashes are really yeah um, because he doesn't he was never definitive about what he wanted done with those so I have to figure out what to do with those sure I don't want those forever. Yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. Yeah. I mean, maybe something comes to you later on. You say, you know what? He loved X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I'm going to go there. And Yeah. He loved um, summer. Pool time was his favorite time. And so my brother and I have talked about, well, maybe we'll go to Florida and spread them where it's nice. You could really fuck up a pool filter. All the time. You could just well, <laughs> really, kids, get out. Adult swim. No, not in the pool, but <laughs> like, you know, by the beach or. Yeah. Something somewhere sunny, the universality of it. I mean, mixing in with sand and yeah. being kind of back to ground, yeah. kind of. Yeah, um, so that feels okay. So, we might do that maybe, uh, but I don't know what we'll do. And you mentioned your brother too, he also seems like somebody who is very, I think, he displays the same level of cool, calm, collected. He's pretty chill, yeah, he's pretty chill. He's a little more um uncertain about things like he gets a little more um like if something's kind of in flux it bugs him a little more hmm. he likes routine and he likes to know what's happening but he still doesn't seem like an anxious person though i would not call him anxious no. yeah whatever mm -hmm. is in your genes i wonder what that is isolated <laughs> i don't know interesting i don't know okay do you think about yours at all i mean not to get super super morbid after talking about hey parents passing away how about you passing away does that oh. do you think about that at all or is it just kind of you know when that happens it happens and that's austin's problem and <laughs> uh i don't i really haven't thought about it that much it's probably a good thing yeah it's probably a good thing i mean i i have hopes for dying old and i have hopes for dying not in pain and i have hopes for that I mean, what I, else? I want to go quietly in my sleep like my grandfather and not screaming like the passengers in his car that's as he right. drove over the that's cliff. That's exactly right. Okay. Um, my dad passed away in his sleep. That's got to be a good way to go. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just... There's a there's there's two parts of me. One's like, that's so far away. Why even think about it? Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, not that far away. <laughs> Any, like, the older we get... Well, and it's certainly, like I said, it's universal. We don't, 
we can't plan for it, but it's not necessarily something that you want to plan out to a T either because right. it's so weirdly presumptuous to say you're going to do this and do this. The funerals are for right. you. The funerals for the people that right. are there. It's for right. your dad wanted to have a celebration where it was like, look, this is my favorite stuff. Just put on my favorite record and play that and everybody wear Hawaiian shirts. and sure. you know. Yep. Okay. There's, there's a part of me that um, my dad passed away without a will. Oh, and so, people, if you're listening, please just have a five-minute conversation. Write something down. It's so hard to deal with his condo and probate, and it's it makes me mad, Adam. It's like you could have done this very easily. Yep. Um, but he Just didn't have a will. Record yourself on your phone saying, I leave XYZ to this. I want this person to be in charge of it. Yep. Just anything. These organizations don't want to make it difficult. They just have protections in place that you can't right. have an unauthorized person come on and do this. So right. people, do the loved ones in your life a favor. Leave a will. Yeah. Talk with somebody about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's it's That's been a big lesson for me. And so Austin and I have talked about, well, we need to figure that out. Yep. Right? And so, which I don't think we probably would have talked about. It's not, it's not on our forefront. You know, uh, to rewind about 40 minutes uh-huh. and we can wrap up here shortly, but uh, your psychic slash medium friend mentioned you have a ghost in your house. We have two. Two yeah. in your current house. Yep. Have you interacted with them? So when she told me that, I was like, huh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that. I don't I don't notice anything weird. Get out. Leave now. <laughs> no, I said be cool and hang like if you're. If you're cool, you can stay. Sure. I got no problem with it. Again, you are so unflappable. <laughs> well, um, I also like kind of love ghost hunter stuff. So I think having ghosts is kind of cool. So I have an old man um, who was part of, he's like connected to the land in some way. Hmm. Not the house, like before this property development was built in the 50s. Yeah. Like before that. When it was all farmland. Yeah. So he's like connected to the land in some way and he's old and I can't remember his name now, but he just kind of hangs out at the house, I guess. Putters. Huh? He just kind of putters around yeah. the house. Yeah. Um, and then I have another one who's a little girl um, and she was part... There, there was some sort of like workhouse or her mom was like in a workhouse or something around where our house is now. And she's just like found this space and kind of got connected to it. And the psychic said that she wanted me to know that she wears a blue dress and I would really love it because I love the color blue. So, and I do. That like, sounds very much like a little girl. Tell her it's blue. Tell her it's blue. She loves it. Uh-huh. She She'll loves like it. blue. Yep, I know she loves it. Little girl to a T. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So she's in my house too. So they sound pretty benevolent. Yeah, I mean, just evil, evil spirits. But I don't know. I mean, there's our house has had weird things happen, weird things break. But I feel like that's just a house that was built in 59 and now it's 2000, whatever year. This house was built in 97 and the weird cracks and groans I hear just from filling up the tub is just like, right. like what was that? Like, no, it's just a house, dum-dum. Like, right. uh, I grew up in a hundred-year-old house that, like, that spooked me. But, like, mm-hmm. this was, I mean, every house does that. It's right. just what you learn about getting older and having a house. Yeah, right. Um, but, yeah. Okay, so that wasn't definitely, like, a freak out and, like, get an exorcist in here. and. No, I thought about maybe, like, having the house saged or, like, having the psychic come back and, like, talk to them more and ask them to leave. But then... But I don't know. It's like if everything's fine, if you don't mess with my stuff, you are welcome here. Yeah. Please stay. Yeah. Just keep George company all day long. Yeah. He's so really. tired. 
so lonely. He just needs a friend. He, he just, just he needs it. Just somebody just, who can put on NPR. You can listen together yeah. and just. And when you said it was an old man at first, like, are you sure she doesn't just mean George the dog? Like, oh, George is the old. Like, no, that's soul. she doesn't understand what dogs are. Right. Yeah. No. Is there? God, and I, I I've taken up a lot of your time. I want to. What I'd like to do is get you back on and just straight up talk about ghosts and then the idea that you are somebody who is a neurophysicist and yet you have such a, an openness to love and light and vibrations and stuff it's that weird, there's they seem to be counterintuitive things and yeah. yet yeah, you have no problem marrying those in your head. No problem, yeah. So I'm a neuropsychologist, but not a physicist. Neuropsychologist, I'm sorry. I don't know what a physicist does. I think that's more about physical sciences. Yeah. Neuropsychologist. Psychologist. Okay. So it's a little bit different. Thank you for correcting me. You're welcome. But yeah, there's that part of me, but also like I have a selenite wand and a moonstone and a rose quartz by my bed. Why? Because it gives off good vibes and it's supposed to do certain things and it makes me feel better. So I do it. <laughs> that... I can't marry those things. I know. That just seems... I know. I've got selenite wands hidden all over my house. Okay. It's bananas. It's nuts. But it makes me feel better. <laughs> so I do it. <laughs> all right. Well, i got to figure out how to unpack that. And uh, this has been an absolute blast. Anything else you want to tell anybody before we go? Um, leave a will. Leave a will. Yeah. Okay. Even a simple one back of an envelope just write some stuff down mm -hmm. okay um well i can't thank you enough this has been so much fun hopefully you'll come back on and talk sure. about ghosts and the marriage of woo woo to hardcore science yeah, and we got to convince your husband to come on too, either pre or post baby because i literally just i love getting him wound up and just letting him go i, I just i cannot wait to hear what he says mm -hmm. unpredictable and i'll just cut out all of his pauses between sentences so it'll be even more it'll be like the micro machine guy from the 80s it'll just be rapid fire yes, nonstop. Yes, yes. cool okay perfect carly thank you you're welcome